I will invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been teaching for a number of weeks on the subject of spiritual gifts or manifestations of the Spirit. Both terms are scriptural. Paul starts off in verse 1 of chapter 12 and he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. The word gifts is in italics, which means the translators added it. In the original translation, the original Greek, it says, Now concerning spirituals, the word spiritual is in the plural. Spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Well, you could well understand that uh, that that wouldn't make sense to many people. And so the translators tried to put something in there to help us understand what he was talking about. But the word spirituals in the original Greek literally means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. The unfortunate um, addition of the word gifts leaves people the impression that the only thing that he's talking about in chapter 12 are spiritual gifts. And he's not. He's talking about other things that pertain to the Holy Ghost. He talks about spiritual gifts. Then he talks about the body of Christ. And then he talks about uh, ministry gifts. Offices in the church at the end of the chapter. So he says, uh, in beginning and again, and uh, uh, moving down to verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts. This word gifts is there. Which probably is an indication of why they put the word gifts in uh, verse 1. To help us to understand what was being spoken of. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations or ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. And then he gives us a list of nine manifestations, the nine ways that the Holy Ghost will move and operate among the people. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, To another faith, the Amplified says special faith by the same spirit. To another the gifts of healings. Now gifts of healings are mentioned a couple of times, three times throughout the scripture. And in the original, it doesn't, uh, uh, the original Greek, gifts and healings are always in the plural. It doesn't always translate that or make it to the English language or the English translation. But in the original, gifts and healings are always in the plural. So to another the gifts of healings by the same spirit. To another the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, verse 11. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost, this is the the way that the Holy Ghost will operate. These are the nine ways, and and, uh, we have to assume since Paul is giving us a complete list, he's saying these are the only nine ways that the Holy Ghost is going to move and operate among the church. Now, we want to talk about, uh, we've talked about um, the revelation gifts. This list of nine divides itself into three categories. There are three gifts that reveal something. There are three gifts that do something. We call those the power gifts. And there are three gifts that say something. We call those the vocal gifts. So we've uh, started talking about the vocal gifts, and we want to spend a little bit more time on those than we do the others because Paul did. Of the information that Paul gives us about the Holy Ghost, he gives us one entire chapter about the vocal gifts. He doesn't do that about the revelation gifts. He doesn't do that about working of miracles or any of the others. But when it comes to vocal gifts, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy, he spends more time on those than any of the others. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that, I think. One is the vocal gifts are going to be the most prominent or the most frequent, perhaps, is a better way to say it, frequently used gifts or manifestations of the Spirit in the church. But the second reason, and maybe it's just as important or perhaps even more so, and that is there's a great misunderstanding in the body of Christ, was then and still is now, about how the vocal gifts are supposed to operate. So he spends an, uh, a, a much greater amount of time and goes into much more detail about the operation of these gifts, the vocal gifts, than any of the others. So we want to do the same thing. Now, Paul says some things in chapter 14 about speaking with tongues specifically. Notice in verse 2, he said, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, notice every time the word tongue, uh, or speaking with tongues is talked about, unknown is added by the translators. It's in italics too. They're trying to, um, to point out the fact that When the Bible talks about speaking with tongues, it is assumed that you don't understand the tongue that you're speaking. So they put the word unknown in there to help us understand that. 
So he says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Weymouth's translation says of that, Howbeit in the spirit he speaks divine secrets. Verse 4 said, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue, notice unknown is in italics again, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. Now the word edify is an interesting word because it means to put a roof on a house. It carries with it the idea, the notion of completion. So he's saying he that speaks in an unknown tongue completes himself. Well, how does that work? What is that supposed to mean? I mean, the Bible already says we're complete in him, in Christ. So what is it talking about that we complete ourselves or we put the roof on the house? Well, Greek scholars, uh, modern-day Greek scholars, have come up with a, uh, or tell us that this word edify is better related to something that we all are familiar with today that they didn't have in the day that the word uh, was used and these words were translated. And that is the word edify means to charge up like you'd charge a battery. Now, what do we do when we put a battery on a charger? Well, we complete the charge. We know in our day of electronics and cell phones and iPads and all this other kind of stuff, your life revolves around your charge cords. Because if these things that connect us to the rest of the world are going to work, we have to keep them charged up. Well, what do we do when we charge them up? Well, we're completing the charge. But another way we could say it, another word that we could use that might make more sense to us to understand spiritual things is we're empowering the, the, the electronics. We're adding power to it or we're strengthening the charge. Well, that's what Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost about speaking in tongues. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. He charges himself up. He empowers himself. He strengthens himself. He adds spiritual strength to himself. That's what this word means. That's what it means to complete yourself or to put the roof on the house. It's talking about to add spiritual strength to you. Now, all tongues, we know that there's a private side to tongues and a public side to tongues. Paul said in chapter 14 about himself, he said, I thank my God in verse 18. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church. I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Unknown again is translated or is uh, in italics, meaning the translator's added it. So he's saying that there's a public side to tongues and a private side to tongues. He's saying, I speak with tongues more than all of you folks. Now, remember the situation in Corinth. When the church gets together, they're so focused on the Holy Ghost. They're so enamored with the power of the Holy Ghost that they have available to them. And Paul said they come behind a no good gift. That has to mean they have all the manifestations of the Spirit in operation. But when they come together, they're spending their entirety of the, the, the entirety of the time that they're together by speaking in tongues. And he said when people come in from the outside and they're not saved or they're not filled with the Holy Ghost, they think you're crazy. And rightly so. Paul doesn't say that they're not doing what they're doing by the Holy Ghost. He's not saying that the tongues are not of the Holy Ghost. He's saying that they're misusing that which God can provide for us to the detriment of the people that are there. So Paul says that in his own case, he would rather speak five words with his own understanding to teach other people. He seems to place the emphasis in his ministry on teaching. He said, that would be better than me speaking 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Now, would there be any benefit to speaking 10,000 words in unknown tongues? Well, he's the one that tells us that when you do that, you build yourself up or charge yourself up like a battery or strengthen yourself spiritually. So there would be benefit to him, but no benefit to the church. So what does that mean? That means whether they're used privately or they're used publicly, all tongues are the same in essence. But there are, difference in, there, there are differences in purposes and use. Now, what, that, what I mean by that is, whenever you speak in tongues, whether it's public or private, it's inspired of the Holy Ghost. He's the one that gives you utterance. But there are different uses and purposes for speaking with tongues. Paul's main use and purpose for speaking in tongues, is, as far as the way that God uses him, is in his private devotions. Paul 
is telling us that God, apparently, at least, God didn't use him much in tongues and interpretation. Or else he would have told us about it. But rather he says that tongues are primarily used for him and he prefers it to be used in his private prayer life, his private devotions, rather than in a public setting. So what does that mean? That means that Paul is, it would rather take advantage of the spiritual strength, the spiritual edification that comes by speaking in tongues privately than for God to use him in public service, in tongues and interpretation. I think this is one place where people make a mistake, and that is everybody wants to be used of God. Everybody that's sincere wants to be used of God. Well, the reason, or one reason, that Paul goes into much more detail about the vocal gifts is because God uses everybody and can use everybody in that way very easily. It's easy to speak with tongues if you're already filled with the Holy Ghost. It's easy for you to speak with tongues publicly if you're filled with the Spirit of God because it's the same in many cases, or most people think so at least, it's the same as when you're speaking in tongues privately. So it's easy to, to, to be to sense that you're impressed of the Holy Ghost to speak publicly when you get excited about what's going on. And that's what's happening apparently in Corinth. Because if there was a purpose inspired by the Holy Ghost for everybody to be speaking in tongues, then it would do something to edify the, the whole congregation rather than just the individuals. Now, as we mentioned last week, if you were with us, you may recall, there are five times in the books of, in the book of Acts where... Speaking with tongues is manifested when people are filled with the Spirit. There are only five times when it talks about any, time, any group or any individual is filled with the Holy Ghost. And each one of those results in speaking in tongues. Now, here's something else that's, uh, well, uh, let me refer to that. I'll talk about that a little bit later. In Acts chapter 2 is the one that we know of most frequently. It's when the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost. In verse 4 it says, And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Clearly on the day of Pentecost they spoke with tongues. It tells us about how people came together and it was noise abroad and people saw that there was something different about these folks and, and there was disagreement about what had happened. Some folks are saying... Well, these people are just crazy. Other people were saying, well, they're drunk and so forth, which is an interesting concept, interesting thing to think about. I've never seen somebody speak in a foreign language and assume that they were drunk. Have you? There must be something else going on. When I hear somebody speaking in a language that I don't understand, I just assume they're speaking a language that I don't understand. That's a totally different thing from me thinking somebody's drunk. There must have been a greater um, manifestation of the Spirit than just the speaking in tongues for people to conclude, some people at least, to think that these people were drunk. They must have been overwhelmed by the Spirit and been staggering around in some form or another to cause people to think so. That's just an assumption, but I don't know of anything else that would fit. So in Acts chapter 2, it tells us they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. The next time it tells us about somebody being filled with the Spirit is over in Acts chapter 8. After Philip goes down and preaches Christ to them, people get saved. And then Peter and John go down. They hear that they'd received the Word of God, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Now we know that they got a, a measure of the Holy Ghost because they got saved. The Bible says we're born again of the Holy Ghost when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. But it's telling us that there are two experiences with the Holy Ghost. One in salvation and the other in the infilling or the baptism of the Spirit of God. So Peter and John go down to Samaria and they pray for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Now, it doesn't say that they spoke with tongues, but let's keep reading. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. 
Now, the Bible's already told us in verses, verse 9 about this guy called Simon, who was basically a con man, that before Philip came down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ, he had put himself off like he was some great person and he was kind of a witch doctor type, sorcerer type. And he was um, cheating people out of their money by trying to use spiritual things. Now, the fact that Simon offers Peter and John money shows that even though he's been born again, the Bible tells us he got saved too. You don't always change overnight. He seems to have some of his old motives in mind when he asked for the the power to lay hands on people for them to receive the Holy Ghost. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would he offer power or why would he offer money for the power to lay hands on people and then receive the Holy Ghost if something didn't, if he didn't see something result when Peter and John prayed for the people? See, it doesn't say that they spoke with tongues, but something had to be seen for Simon to offer money for it. Well, the Bible tells us what it was. Peter said unto him, verse 20, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Now, what matter is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So the matter he's referring to is the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But the word that's translated matter here is the Greek word logos which is used many times in the New Testament, most often it's translated word. But it's also translated speech, sayings, and utterance in other places in the New Testament. So whichever one of those you want to use, you can plug any one of those, transla- those words into the translation. You have neither part nor lot in this word. You have neither part nor lot in this speech. You have neither part nor lot in this sayings. Or you have neither part nor lot in this utterance. Now what speech, utterance, or sayings, or word is he talking about? Well, to conclude that there's a different manifestation when they're filled with the Holy Ghost than in the other instances in the New Testament would be to take away something from Scripture. It's interesting to note that the early church fathers all concluded and all uh, testified to the fact just up to a couple of hundred years after this event occurred, of personal knowledge that had been handed down that the city of Samaria had spoken in tongues. It's legitimate to conclude, therefore, that when Peter says you have neither part nor lot in this matter, he's talking about this utterance, these tongues. The next time is in Acts chapter 9, where Saul of Tarsus meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Ananias is directed by the Lord supernaturally to go pray for him that he might receive his sight because he's been blinded by the glory of the light when Jesus appeared to him. So Ananias goes in and lays hands on him and says, Brother Saul, you wouldn't call somebody brother unless they were saved, would you? He said, The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord even Jesus Christ who appeared to thee on the way, notice he calls him the Lord, Saul, in his experience, has already identified Jesus as Lord. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? After Jesus identifies himself. So the point I'm trying to make is Saul's already been born again. But there's a second experience for all believers to receive. So he says, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, who appeared to you in the way, has directed me to come down and lay hands on you that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Spirit. Now, it doesn't say Paul spoke with tongues. But we know by Paul's own testimony, we read it before in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18. Paul said he spoke with tongues. So the only question we have to answer is, when did Paul begin to speak with other tongues? It's not too big a jump to conclude that he began to speak with other tongues when everybody else in the New Testament that spoke with other tongues began to speak too after they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 19 tells us I skipped one. Acts chapter 10 is when Paul goes down to, or Peter goes down to Cornelius' house. This is an interesting one. I want you to look at this. Look it over at Acts chapter 10. Paul is supernaturally, Peter, excuse me, is supernaturally directed by the Holy Ghost to Cornelius' house. 
in a certain city. And he begins to preach about Jesus. And it says in verse 44, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Holy Ghost, or I'm sorry, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, how did they know? Notice there was a manifestation that caused them to realize it. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Now, I want you to keep that in your mind. We're going to refer back to this. But in Acts chapter 10, in verse 46, they knew they had been filled with the Holy Ghost for or because they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now, the last time that the Bible tells us about anybody being filled with the Holy Ghost is over in Acts chapter 19, when Paul goes into the region of the... Uh, or city of Ephesus, he found certain disciples and said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Paul understood that there were two experiences with the Holy Ghost, salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He understood that because that's the way it had worked with him. He got saved before he got filled with the Holy Ghost. So he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we've never heard of the Holy Ghost. And he said, well, what are you baptized unto then? They said unto John's baptism. So he gets them saved and then gets them filled with the Holy Ghost too. When they heard this, talking about Jesus, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So of the five times that the Bible tells us that someone or a group of people were filled with the Holy Ghost, three of them identify specifically that they spoke with tongues. One case, the language tells us that there was speech or utterance connected with the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's in Acts chapter 8. And the other time is Paul's own experience, and he tells us by his own testimony that he spoke with tongues. Therefore, if we preach the same experience of the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we ought to have the same evidence. That's the way it is with salvation, isn't it? We preach the same salvation they did. And we expect the same results from the preaching of salvation. Why should it be any different with the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Now, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Because I want you to see something that Jesus said to people that were born again. The group that was born again after he was raised from the dead. He tells them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Ghost is given. Now, forgive me for repeating myself on this subject, but it's such an important thing. And there's such a, a large group of the church, the modern-day church, that is, is in complete ignorance about who the Holy Ghost is and what he wants for us. That I think it bears repetition and, and is necessary that we go over this. It says in... Uh, Well, let's start reading in verse 4, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. At this point in time, Jesus has been raised from the dead, but it's before the day of Pentecost. It's that 40-day period in between his resurrection and Pentecost. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Now, I want you to notice. Remember what Jesus said the criteria is for being born again? To believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead. Well, they're pretty well convinced of that because they're standing there talking to him. The second thing is to confess him as your Lord and Savior. Say with your mouth that he's your Lord. So the first criteria is met because they're with Jesus. The second criteria is going to be met or or evidence to show us that they've already done so by what they say. Then therefore, when they were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They're calling him Lord. I'm not saying this is the first time they did. They've already done so. But it shows us clearly that they've met the criteria for salvation. And Jesus is telling them there's a second experience with the Holy Ghost that I want you to wait for. Thank God we don't have to wait. They had to wait because the day of Pentecost hadn't yet come. We don't have to wait because it has come, come and gone. 
And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but please notice what Jesus said the importance of the Holy Ghost being received is. Here's why he wanted them to wait. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Notice he doesn't say you'll be saved after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Notice he doesn't say you shall be born again. You shall become a new creature in me. He didn't say any of those things because those are things that have already occurred. But Jesus said, you shall receive power. Notice he does not say, you shall receive tongues. Yet we know that every time somebody was filled with the Holy Ghost in the New Testament, they spoke with other tongues. Speaking with other tongues is the evidence that you received the Holy Ghost, but the purpose of receiving the Holy Ghost being filled or baptized with the Holy Ghost is that you'll receive power. You'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, as I said, all tongues are the same in purpose, or I'm sorry, all tongues are the same in essence, but they're different in purpose and use. Jesus is telling us the purpose for being filled with the Holy Ghost is so that we'll have power. The evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost is speaking with other tongues. Notice the connection that is made, therefore, by the Scripture in speaking with tongues and the power of God. Well, Paul tapped into that when he said, He that speaketh an unknown tongue edifies himself or empowers himself, strengthens himself spiritually. Strengthens himself spiritually. Now let me show you how this works. You remember I told you to remember in Acts chapter 10. Verse uh, what was it? Verse 46 or so. They of the circumcision were amazed that the Holy Ghost was given unto the Gentiles. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Turn with me to one other scripture. I want you to see in connection with this. And that's in Jude. Only one chapter in the book of Jude. In verse 20. If your Bible doesn't ordinarily or automatically fall open to the book of Jude. That's to be understood. Go to Revelation and take a left. I want you to see this. Jude verse 20. Here's one of the great reasons that we should speak with other tongues. One of the great purposes of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Jude verse 20. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Now, notice he does not say that's how faith comes. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But he's saying you can build yourself up in your faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. How do you do that? Well, again, Acts 10 verse 47 is the key. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. When you speak with other tongues, one of the means or aspects of spiritual empowerment or spiritual strength is that it magnifies God in you. Now, how can you magnify God? Well, from his perspective, you can't. He's not going to get any bigger no matter what. But he can sure get a whole lot bigger in you. From our perspective, he can sure get bigger for us and to us. So a part of the strengthening, the spiritual empowerment, the strengthening that comes from speaking in other tongues is that it makes God bigger in us. It builds up our faith. It doesn't give us faith. But it strengthens us in the faith that we have. Can you see that? Now again, remember the connection between speaking in tongues and the power of God. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Well, how do, know, how do we know that the Holy Ghost has come upon us? Because we speak with tongues. So you cannot disconnect the speaking with tongues and the power of God. And we should realize that the more we speak with tongues, the more that we open the door to the power of God in our lives. 
It's amazing to me when you understand some of these things. It's amazing to me how many people in the church, how many Christians will argue against being filled with the Holy Ghost or being or speaking with other tongues. Now you got a group of the church, a uh, modern segment, uh, a segment of the modern day church, that'll say, "Well, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I just don't speak with tongues." Well, from the Bible evidence, the Bible example, everybody that was filled with the Holy Ghost in the New Testament spoke with other tongues. Turn with me back to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two. Peter, in a part of his message or sermon on the day of Pentecost when everybody was come together to see what was going on the crowd was moved and stirred by Peter's words and so they asked verse 37 we'll just start reading there now when they heard this they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do then Peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, their salvation, and, here's the second experience, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise of the Holy Ghost is unto you and to your children, and to all them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Well, isn't that what the, what the disciples, had, the 120 had just received, was the promise which was given to them and their children? Isn't that what had just happened? They had received the promise that Jesus made to them. Wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Isn't that what had just taken place? So when Peter is saying repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Nobody argues about that. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If we're going to understand and rightly divide what the gift of the Holy Ghost is that was promised then we're going to have to go back to those that received the promise and see what happened to them well acts 2 4 told us what happened to them they were all filled with the holy ghost received the promise in other words and began to speak with other tongues so if you receive the promise you should have the same evidence that they did and their evidence was speaking other tongues it's so important folks for you to realize the empowering nature of speaking in other tongues. Now you may be thinking, now how does, what does this have to do with spiritual gifts? Well, not, not much at this point. However, there's another aspect to being used in the gifts of the Spirit or manifestations of the Holy Ghost that many in the church either stumble over or maybe a better way to say it is this. One of the greatest problems that we have with people being used of the Holy Ghost is that the character of the person being used doesn't match up with the power that's being delivered. What I mean by that is, especially where the vocal gifts are concerned, if somebody does a miracle in front of you, you don't question too much about their lifestyle until after the fact because the miracle is the miracle itself. But if somebody is used in one of the vocal or inspirational gifts, the reception of that which is delivered is often contingent in a great way on the character of the person that's used. If someone that we know of is, that is not spiritual, doesn't live a spiritual life, speaks in tongues and interpretation or speaks out in prophecy, that creates a hindrance for us to receive what's being said. The question immediately is asked in our minds, well, why in the world would God use them? They're not even living right. But speaking with other tongues will help you live right. Do you remember Jude chapter 20? Or Jude verse 20? But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. The very next verse says, verse 21, says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. See, it's hard for you to spend much time speaking in other tongues and not walk in love. It's a great help. Speaking with other tongues is a great help to walking in love and walking in the Spirit because it makes you constantly aware of the presence of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. And not too many people are, are 
ready to sin when you're conscious of the presence of the Holy Ghost with you all the time. So it solves one of the problems that we have in the, in the modern day church at least. It solves one of the problems that can arise as far as a person's lifestyle not matching up with the manifestation of the Spirit of God through them. Is this making any sense? Now let me show you one other thing about speaking with tongues. Look back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've referred to this. We've been all around it, but I want to point it out to you now. Notice in verse uh, verse 10, where it's talking about the list of nine manifestations of the Spirit. It says, to another, diverse kinds of tongues. We mentioned that the word diverse is, is added by the translators. Compare that with 1 Corinthians twelve twenty eight, where it talks about different ministries set in the church. The last one on the list that it gives us in verse 28 is diversities of tongues. Diversities of tongues. So if we compare those two verses, it says to another kinds of tongues in verse 10. And in verse 28, it speaks of diversities of tongues. Notice the ministry gift that God sets in the church is diversities of tongues. Now in chapter 13, you're right there. You might want to look also at this. Chapter 13, verse 1. Paul is talking about walking in the love of God and it being the the motivation and foundation for everything that we do. And notice he said this. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. What are tongues of angels? He's got to be talking about heavenly languages, doesn't he? It's another way that Paul speaks of or refers to speaking with other tongues. They're tongues of angels. Well, no wonder we don't understand what we're saying. They're tongues of angels. It's a heavenly language. Now, you know as well as I do, if you speak any time, any amount of time speaking in tongues at all, you know that it pretty much sounds the same every time you use it. We have what we call a prayer language which is not a scriptural term, although it's not unscriptural in its nature. But we sometimes call it a a prayer language or a prayer tongue. The Bible speaks of the manifestation of the Spirit, not as a prayer language, but as a diversity or a different kind of tongue. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when people speak out in tongues in church, it always sounds the same? Whether the message behind it is the same or not. The language that they speak, the tongue that they speak always sounds the same. That's not a manifestation of the Spirit of God. I'm not saying they're wrong in their attempt. They're sincere and want to be used of God, all right. But when the Holy Ghost is in manifestation, He'll use you in a different tongue or a different language than your normal prayer language. Because it's diversities of tongues. Diversities of tongues. One, um, um, well, it's been about a year ago, I guess. In a service that we had one Sunday morning, I sensed the Holy Ghost wanting me to say something. And I didn't know exactly what it was, so I began to speak with other tongues. And then the anointing came to me, came upon me to speak out whatever he wanted me to say. And so I did. I spoke it out in English, prophesied it. And somebody came up to me after the service, and they were so proud of themselves, bless their hearts. They're not a member of the church, so they're not here, so I can say it without fear of embarrassing anybody. But they were so proud of themselves for being spiritual. And they came up and they said, oh, Pastor Mike, when you spoke in tongues and then interpreted, I was just so blessed. And I said, well, thank you. I didn't have anything to do with it, so, you know, it's kind of hard to take credit for anything. So I just said, thank you. And then they went on and on and on. And that's when they revealed their thinking and their mindset. They wanted me to know how much they know about tongues and interpretation. And so they just started talking about the tongues that I spoke. Well, that's just my normal speaking in tongues. It wasn't so much about the, the message or the prophecy behind it. 
It was all about me speaking in tongues. So this went went on long enough to where I felt the need to correct them in their thinking. So I said, you've misjudged this completely. I was speaking in tongues because I sensed that the Holy Ghost wanted to move. Not because the Holy Ghost came upon me and impressed upon me to speak in tongues in a public service. I was just trying to find the anointing for what I felt like the Lord wanted me to say. Now over in Acts chapter 19, do you remember how it says that Paul laid hands on the believers at Ephesus? And they received the Holy Ghost and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Did you notice that? They spoke with tongues and prophesied. See, a lot of times what happens is that somebody will speak in tongues and then the spirit of prophecy will come upon them. But speaking in tongues is not a message to the church. And that's what this, this person, that's what I discussed with this person. And they said, well, how can you know the difference? And I said, well, the difference is very easily seen. Because if it's a manifestation of tongues and interpretation, there'll be an equal anointing on the tongues as there is on the interpretation. But in the case as was that morning, there was no anointing on the tongues that I spoke. I'm just trying to find, I'm searching spiritually to find what God's trying to say. And then I tapped into it and the anointing was on the prophecy that was delivered. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, if the Holy Ghost is manifesting himself in tongues and interpretation, there should be an equal anointing on both, shouldn't there? And the Bible tells us what it's for. Tongues and interpretation equals prophecy. So the same benefit from tongues and interpretation will be the benefit from prophecy, edification, exhortation, and comfort. It should lift the service. Now, so many times we'll have tongues and interpretation in the service, and the the result is you can ask somebody uh, that you have confidence in, what was the result of the tongues and interpretation? Usually, at best, it's, well, it was okay. Not, boy, that really lifted the service. But when the Holy Ghost manifests himself, shouldn't it lift the service? Now, you may think that I'm being critical, and I'm not. I'm just setting a higher standard for the manifestation of the Holy Ghost in our church services. Because if we don't set the higher standard, we're sure not going to live up to it. If we don't understand how these things are supposed to work, then we sure can't expect God to use us in the way that he would want to, can we? Isn't it important to realize how these things are supposed to work? Paul said himself by the Holy Ghost, he didn't want us to be ignorant. There's a world of ignorance, even in Pentecostal circles, about the thing that we take for granted, which is tongues and interpretation. There's still a world of ignorance in it. Now, Paul, on the other hand, places the emphasis or the importance on prophecy. I wonder why that was. Well, he said, of course, that he wanted the whole church to be edified. But if tongues and interpretation are working the way that they should be, doesn't that equal prophecy? See, I see a a suggestion that maybe tongues and interpretation weren't working in the church the way that the Holy Ghost intended. Because let's face it, any of us that are filled with spirit can begin to speak with other tongues. We can begin to speak out in other tongues. I can start speaking out in other tongues right now. Who's to say whether it was was a manifestation of the Holy Ghost or me just speaking? The average believer doesn't know. Now, somebody that has experience in these things, somebody that's developed a level of maturity in these things to, to understand the difference, they might be able to tell. But that's certainly not the average Christian. I believe we ought to place a demand on the Holy Ghost to manifest himself as he was intended, as this, this list tells us that it was intended to operate. That's my only purpose behind this. Well, Pastor Mike, if the Holy Ghost comes on me, how am I going to know? One of the best ways to judge it is if the words that you have to speak are in your normal prayer language, that's not a manifestation of the Spirit. That may be you getting excited in your spirit and wanting God to use you. Those are all fine and good things. But that doesn't mean we should. 
It's not a matter of what we can do. It's a matter of what should we do. Are you out there? The Bible talks about diversities of tongues, different kinds of tongues. Most believers, and Paul, again, doesn't place any importance on this in his own life or in his own experience. Most believers never do experience a diversity of tongues or a different kind of tongue. And there's nothing wrong with that. The important thing is to use what you have consistently because it brings you spiritual strength. Now, without question, speaking with tongues is the threshold for the other manifestations or gifts of the Spirit. It's the threshold. And it wouldn't make sense. At least this wouldn't be God's first choice. In many cases, he doesn't have any options, other options. But it certainly would not be God's first choice to use somebody in one of these greater manifestations of the Spirit, like working of miracles or special faith or something like that, that's not skilled or proficient in their experience with the Holy Ghost in their own individual lives. My point is God's going to use somebody that knows him. How do we get to know him? Well, one of the great ways to get to know the Holy Ghost is to speak in other tongues. So the question then becomes not, Lord, why aren't you moving? The question really should be, Lord, isn't there anybody here that you're familiar with that you can use? The responsibility is on us. The responsibility is on us. Let me close with one other scripture. It's from the Old Testament. I think it's in Hosea chapter 6. My Bible doesn't ordinarily fall open to Hosea, so it'll take me a minute. Matter of fact, I can probably find it quicker on my iPad if it's charged. I've got a charging station set up right next to the, the um, chair in my family room. I've got it set up so that I can charge my stuff anytime and all the time. There's only one problem with that, and that is Beth is a thief. <laughs> she will uncook my stuff to hook her stuff up. That's not that she doesn't have charge cords on her own. I bought her extra charge cords. But she won't use hers. She has to use mine. Hosea chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain as the latter and the former reign upon the earth. Now we know this is talking about the Holy Ghost because it fits with other scriptures that talk about the early and the latter reign. So it's talking about the Holy Ghost will come to us like the early and the latter reign. I'll remind you also of a scripture over in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11. It says, For with stammering lips and another's tongue will I speak unto this people. It says God will speak to us through tongues. With stammering lips in another tongue will I speak unto this people. Verse 12 goes on to say, This is the rest wherewith he is called the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Well, it's telling us that the Holy Ghost comes to us like the rain, and it brings rest or peace and a refreshing. We live in a place where we don't get too much rain. But boy, when we get a shower, look at how it cleans everything out. The air gets cleaner. The grass looks greener. The plants just soak it up. There's just something about it after the rain that it just feels clean. It cleans off everything that there is. It brings a refreshing. Well, that's what the Bible says that tongues will do for us. It cleans us out. It keeps us spiritually clean. It brings a spiritual refreshing. Well, that's in part what this is talking about too. But the point I wanted you to see here, it says... His going forth is prepared as the morning. His going forth is prepared as the morning. In other words, it's just as sure 
as the sun coming up in the morning that the Holy Ghost will manifest himself in the church. That's what God's trying to tell us. The problem is not the fact that the Holy Ghost is not moving. The problem in large part is because the church is ignorant on how he moves and how to cooperate with him. How do we solve that? Speaking in other tongues. Speaking in other tongues prepares us. Speaking with other tongues doesn't make God move. It just gives him a vessel to move through. A clean vessel to move through. Folks, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you're not speaking in tongues every day, you need to ask yourself why. You're passing up on the power of God. You're passing up on the building up your faith. Building yourself up in faith. You're passing up on the things that God intended for you to have. And there's a price for that. And the price may not be to you. The cost may not be to you. It may not be what you're missing out on. It may be what other people fail to receive through you. Because we're not sensitive to the things of the Spirit. Speaking with other tongues is critical. Especially in these last days. I don't know why somebody would even want to live without the baptism of the Holy Ghost in these last days. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. But you shall receive power. Thank God for the power of God through the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Thank you that he's available to everyone. And Jesus even said that these signs will follow them to believe. And one of those signs is they'll speak with new tongues. The rest of you in the congregation, let's all stand. Let's pray for these that went to the prayer room. Father, in Jesus' name, you said, well, Jesus said, that he that comes unto unto him, unto me, I will in no wise cast out. That means you won't turn them away for any reason, so we can say with confidence, thank you for bringing them back into fellowship, for filling them with the Holy Ghost. We thank you, Father, for utterance, supernatural utterance to be given to the workers in the prayer room, and also to those who receive. We thank you, Lord, that today will be the day of the beginning of the blessings of God upon them for the rest of their lives. We thank you, Lord, that they'll never be the same. In Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that, say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. How many of you commit to pray in tongues every day? That's the minimum. You ought to be praying in tongues many, many times every day. One of the great benefits of praying in tongues is you can do it while you're doing other things. You don't have to stop and get on your knees and separate yourself. There may be some times where you'll want to do that, but thank God we can do it while we're doing everything else in, in our lives. Thank God for the power of God. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here with us. Have a great day. Hopefully we'll see you tonight.